I invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 2, if you would. We're going to continue to be in the book of Acts where we've been for the last four weeks in a series that we do every year called Live Love. And if this is your first time, maybe today's your first Sunday, you're, you're jumping in in the middle of a series that we do every year. And we call it Live Love because it is the two key words of the sentence that you saw on the wall when you walked in. And for us, that, that's much more than just a sentence. That's not like a, a motto or a mantra. It's not a slogan. It is a mission that's describing what we believe Jesus told the church we were supposed to do and be about. And now listen to me. I think every church has the same purpose. Every church that claims to believe in the scriptures, claims to know and, and acknowledge Jesus as the one and only son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, gave up his life on the cross for the sins of all humanity, rose from the dead three days later. Every person, every church that preaches and teaches and leans into that, we all have the same purpose, no matter what the name is on the sign. No matter what even denomination we're connected to. And that's why, as a church, we'll never see other churches as competitors. We are co-laborers with Christ. That's why we celebrate. Can y'all celebrate Fresh Life Church over in Archdale that launched last week? They launched large. Guys are already doing really cool things to that church. Pastor Brad Thomas was here on this platform back in May, and we're just coming alongside them celebrating because we have never been about filling up this room. We've been all about filling up heaven. And then we got a better chance of doing that when we do it together, when we don't see other churches as competitors. And every church has the same mission because Jesus stood on a mountain before he ascended back to heaven and he looked at those people that would be the first part of the church and he said, go make disciples, go teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptize them. And I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age that we all have the same mission is to make disciples. And it just so happens the way that we articulate that is we exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus, because a disciple of Jesus is someone who lives and loves the way he lived and loved. Amen. It's somebody who lives in the same kind of intimate relationship with the father that he demonstrated for us was possible. It's somebody who loves in the way that he loves as he embraced people from all walks of life and called them into repentance for his name's sake so that the abundant life that God intended for us to have, we could live out. And that's why we're here. And over the last 15 years of the life of this church, everything we do has been about that. And look at me, sometimes we've done a really good job and sometimes we haven't. Because here's the other thing about a church, it's full of people. And so it's not perfect. We serve a perfect God, amen? But we do it in our own brokenness and flesh and missteps. And, and what I'm trying to do in this series is remind us of of what we need to be reminded of in order to continue to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, not just for the next 15 years, but if God chooses not to return, Jesus chooses not to come back for the next 15 generations. And to do it in a way that, that represents him well and reflects who he is, because we've all been a part of churches that maybe didn't quite do that very well. And some of you in this room, you gave up on church because it didn't reflect that very well. And, and I understand that and I get that. And so we're, we're leaning back into the book of Acts because it was what, that I, what I saw in the book of Acts that inspired what we now call vintage church. Because if you look up the word vintage in the dictionary, it means representing the high quality of a past time. 
And what I hoped was that we would be a body of Christ that, that represented the attributes, the markers of the early church. Because see, this movement, as you read through the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you see this little bitty, tiny, nothing movement of a bunch of fishermen and ragtag, ragamuffin group of people that none of y'all would have chose, including me, has now, in just a matter of five chapters, gone from about 120 people to over 5,000 people. And look at me, it wasn't because they had some elaborate strategy. It was because in the upper room, they waited on the spirit. They didn't form a committee to figure out which songs to sing. It was because the Holy Spirit had empowered them. And it was, look at me, it was not what they did. It was who they were that made this movement so special. And it's a reminder to me that no matter what we do, if who we are isn't representing Jesus well, we will not be the church he desires us to be. It doesn't matter what kind of music we do. It doesn't matter how many lights we have. And let me just say, all these things are just tools, y'all. Well, you don't need it. No, we don't need it, but we use it. We leverage it. You don't need a car. You could walk everywhere, but the car makes it easier. That was good. They're just tools, but that's all they are is tools. And if the tools are in the hands of people deeply committed to Jesus, we will misuse them. And in the book of Acts, there's two specific chunks of Scripture that we've kind of been jumping off of for the last few weeks. And it's these two chunks of Scripture that really stirred something in my heart to start this church. So I want to lean back into them today, and we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation. Everybody ready for that? <laughs> no, you're not. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and then we're going to move over to Acts 4, 32 through 35. Both the chunks I'm about to read are on the, the other side of these massive growth explosions in the church. The first one is on the other side of Pentecost where the Peter stepped out and he preached the gospel message and the movement went from 120 or so to 3,000. And then the second one is after Peter and John healed this lame guy that had been begging by the temple and it goes from about 3,000 to about 5,000. And what they do on the other side of those two explosions of growth is super important because when a church grows, it can quickly move in a direction that God doesn't want it to go. Growth does weird things to anything, to companies, to organizations, to churches. And if you're not careful, growth can go to your head and you can lose sight of who you're really supposed to be. And it's what happens in these two chunks that I really, I want to see happen in our church. I want to see happen in his church because there's a spirit among these people that I think was crucial to what happens as these pages continue in the church moves on. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple court and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
Now, if you move on over, flip over a page or two in your Bible and go to Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, because you see a very similar pattern by these people. It says now in verse 32, Acts 4, now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them because all those who had owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid, it, laid them at the apostles' feet. This then was distributed to each person as any had need. And in those two chunks of Scripture, you see a spirit within the body of Christ that I think was crucial in it doing all that it did in the years that would follow. We've been talking about in these, you, you see the markers of who they were. We start off talking about, you see the marker of lordship and ownership. That there was a, there were, they were concerned about the lordship of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the head of it all, that it was about him and for him above all else, that it was never about what they wanted or what one person's agenda was. It was about Jesus and if a church can ever get over itself and just be about Jesus, it's not about the preacher, it's not about the band, it's not about the building, it's not about any one person. That the church, when it's only and always about Jesus, that's when things can really change. That it's not about me, it's not about what I want. If y'all knew how messed up I am and broken and insecure I am most days, this is about Jesus. And it's only because of him our church is still here. And they were about ownership. Like they took ownership of this thing. That it wasn't just the apostles. It was all of them took ownership of this mission. All of them took ownership for each other. And you know, this is a time when the church was made up of diversity, unlike most of us have ever seen in our lifetime. This is the side of Pentecost. There were people who, who even spoke different languages that were now gathering together. There were different skin colors and socioeconomic places and all this different stuff. But yet they took ownership for one another because nobody thought they were above it. Nobody thought they were better than anybody else. It was just, and they were just bonded by the blood of Jesus, and it was beautiful and powerful. Then I said last week, there's two other markers that we see. There was a commitment to unity and generosity. Unity and generosity. And we spent last week leaning into that first word, unity. They were unified, man. They, they, didn't, they didn't argue and bicker over stupid stuff, <laughs> They didn't die on unworthy hills. They didn't let non-essential things create division among them because they knew that Jesus said, if you're one, then the world will know. So don't fight and bicker that, yes, disagreement is, is inevitable, but division cannot happen because a house divided cannot stand. So you got to work through this stuff with grace and mercy with one another. They were unified. But what you also notice is they were incredibly generous. That the, you walk through the entire New Testament, you walk through the book of Acts, and you walk through the letters that Paul wrote as he celebrates generosity that followed the local church all the way through the end of Scripture. That generosity is a marker of a healthy, vibrant, mission-driven church. Let me take you back into Acts chapter 4. Go back to verse 
34 and 35. This is how generous they were. It says, for there was no needy person among them. Can you imagine that? Like nobody was going hungry. They all had a roof over their head. They all had their needs met. Among the body, there was no needy persons among them. Why? Because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the disciples' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. There's a reality that we have to recognize in the book of Acts that we also have to adopt if we're going to continue to inspire people to live and love like Jesus, and that's this. The mission of God's church is accomplished through the generosity of God's people. The mission of God's church is accomplished through the generosity of God's people. And now, let's deal with the elephant in the room. Generosity obviously includes money, financial resources. But look at me. A spirit of generosity goes well beyond money. This wasn't just about money. This was, they were generous in all things at all times. Like everything that they knew God had given them, they knew they owned nothing. They stewarded everything and they wanted to use it all, not for their own benefit, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's the spirit that we see. But it was about money as well. And I know we in church, preacher starts talking about money. Everybody gets weird. It gets uncomfortable. It gets tenacious. You already got, what, what's he going to say? They're going to pass a bucket in 10 minutes. I know they are. And I get it. I get it. Because unfortunately, the church has been a place where people have been abused, taken advantage of, and unfortunately, a place that for many of us, we couldn't trust with our money. I get it. I completely understand that. But the first thing we have to wrestle with, okay, forget what we know and have learned about the church. What does scripture say about the issue of money? And whether we like it or not, it says a whole lot. And we have to wrestle that down and deal with what God's word says about the issue. And I know when we think about church, the first thing we think about is this this weird Word that scares us all, the tithe. And some of us, we didn't grow up in church, we don't even really know what that word means. It simply means a tenth. And there's many of us, we grew up believing in in that concept of of a tithe, that that we give back uh, the first 10% of what God blesses with us, us to his church. But I also know there's a lot of controversy over this whole subject. Because anytime it's like, preacher, get your hand out my pocket. And some people, there's this mindset of, well, no, tithe. Tithe is this Old Testament law. First of all, the tithe wasn't a part of the law. Because when we say law, we're talking about the Mosaic law, right? The law that God gave to Moses when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, the law that would govern and and be the oversight things that would be used for the nation of Israel. And Jesus had a lot to say about all that. But the tithe came in and was introduced hundreds of years before Moses ever went on Mount Sinai with a guy named Abram before he was Abraham. When he set this pattern and precedent of returning to God, the first fruits of what he was given 
it was not the law. It was a pattern of worship that started in the Old Testament and walks all the way through into the New Testament. And I know what you're saying, but Matt, like that was like fruits and vegetables, that kind of stuff. It was their greatest commodity and their greatest resource. So if their greatest commodity is a goat, we'll take some milk from it next week, okay? It was their greatest resource. And you walk all the way through the scriptures and it, and it talks about this reality. Like Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the full tenth, the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Some people push back and say, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. I'm just reading the Bible. And then there's this debate over, okay, what what does this mean for us in the New Testament? Well, look what Jesus said when he is challenging the religious people of his day to not neglect doing good things and not neglect giving to the temple. Luke eleven forty two 42, it says, but woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you, have, you should have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is affirming the need to do both. And as you walk throughout the New Testament, there's many times where Paul celebrates the willingness of the people to give a portion of their resources back to the church so they continue to do what God had called it to do. Like 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, it says, Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will be made when I come. That there's a reality that we have to wrestle with, that the ministry of God's church has always been dependent on the money of God's people. That's just the way God has designed it. And I know that many people in the room or many people watching online, you've been burned. But this is what I know. As followers of Jesus, there's a lot of good things that we can give to. But the local church is the only organization in the world tasked with advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think it should be a place that we are confident in and comfortable with supporting financially. And I think there's a biblical mandate for that. And I also think you should never give to anything you don't trust. So if you don't trust our church enough to financially sow into it, number one, I'd love to have a conversation to see where we could break through. Or I would love to say, you need to find a church you do trust and sow into it there because I think that's what God desires for your life. And we try to operate with transparency. We offer P&Ls to anybody who asks for it. If you want to see where your money's going, we'll show you. And don't ever give to a church that's not willing to do that. Because nothing builds trust like transparency, especially when you're trusting a church with your very hard-earned dollar. But we also have to wrestle with, Jesus had a lot to say about what money shows about us. Everybody okay? All right. Jesus, Jesus said that money would be a huge indicator about what matters to us. That you want to know what you value, follow the trail of your bank account. Luke chapter 16, verses 11 through 13. So if 
you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he, either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew would record a similar sentiment in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That generosity isn't limited to money, but money is a part of what reveals a generous spirit in someone who follows Jesus. But I also think that scripture is very clear that we give in obedience to him. We give in obedience and not from abundance or out of obligation. Because this is what we think. We always say, I would be generous if I just had more. Statistics revealed that doesn't happen, that the more we make, the less we give. And it's not about the amount. Oh, generosity is about obedience to God. Don't ever give because some preacher tells you to. That we don't give because we're, our arm is twisted or we feel like we have. And the motivation of generosity does not come from the expectation of blessing. So we don't ever give thinking, I'm going to give, and then God will help me win the lottery. I'm going to give at church today, then I'm going to sheets, I'm buying me a ticket, and I'm going to get blessed. That's not what this scripture is saying, y'all. That is a weird prosperity thing that is unbiblical. And that's not the motivation why we should give. We should not give because, oh, I expect a blessing. We should, God has already done more than enough for me to give him everything I have. But Jesus talks about, too, it's not about the abundance. It's, it's, it's not, we don't give when or because we have much. We give as God leads. And there comes this moment recorded in Luke chapter 21 where, interesting enough, Jesus is paying attention to who's given. Jesus is watching this unfold. Look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Then look what he says. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of these people have given gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Now, is God calling us to give every dime away? No, but what he's saying is that there's this spirit where she, those other people gave because they could give, but she's giving out of obedience to whatever the Lord is leading her to give in that moment. We also don't give out of obligation. Like, that's not what God's calling us to give. He talks about, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verses 5 through 7, where Paul is continuing to talk about this issue as the church is growing and being supported by the generosity of the people who are part of it. It says, therefore, I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promise, so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. 
The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously, and that is a biblical principle woven all throughout the scriptures. He says, but each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. That's why the church has to never be put, never allow itself to be in a position where we try to play on people's emotions in order to get them to give. That's manipulative, and that's not God-honoring. That we give out of what we decided to give, and we sow because we trust, and we sow because we believe that the church is the vehicle to take the gospel into the world. But as I said, generosity is so much more than money. Generosity is so much more than money. You can give all your money. Look at, look at me. You can give all your money away and not be generous. You can tithe and not be generous. And you can serve with all the hours you have and be greedy with your money and not be This is a holistic mindset of life where we use every resource we have and we're generous to people as God leads us to make a difference in the world in which we live. I think about what Paul said to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, instruct those who are rich in the present age. Now, somebody just said, that's not me. I ain't rich. I'm broke. Do you know what rich literally means? Having more than you need. If you have more than you need, you're rich. That means today, if you go home and you got more food in your pantry than you need to make it through this day, you are wealthier than most people in the world. That rich is not the category that we think of, of like the people on TV, the celebrities. Rich is having more than you need in the moment. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth. And boy, it's uncertainty these days. Come on. But on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly Life. He says, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. He's talking about the spirit that was so evident in the book of Acts that enabled the church to do everything that God called it, moved it, challenged it to do. That generosity was the mark of the early church that enabled them to inspire people to live in love like Jesus and generosity has been the mark of this church over the last 15 years that has enabled us to do everything that we've done. That we sit in this room and we're living out the byproduct of the generosity of so many, of so many people that have come to this church and realized that the church is not a place to consume, it's a place to contribute. There are people that have been so generous with their time over these last 15 years, so much so there have been seasons where I've felt guilty I told you last week about the season that we had of set up and tear down, where for every Friday night at the middle school across the street, we had to transform that building into a place of worship, and it took many, many hours, and people 
blood, sweat, and tears to make that happen. And the generosity of those people that are willing to sacrifice that time to make that happen is the why so many of you in this room met Jesus and got baptized and are now walking in faith with him. I think about the generosity of financially the people that have made this church happen. See, this is, you know why I want to be generous? Because I've been the recipient of the generosity of so many. Can anybody else have that same testimony? <laughs> Man, you, you, you are the recipient of the generosity of somebody. And so much of why you are where you are is because somebody out of generosity and a spirit of generosity has done things for you that you didn't deserve. Things that maybe you didn't even ask for, but they believed in you and they trusted you and they saw something in you and they poured themselves out into your life and their generosity has positioned you for the place that you're in. My whole life, I've been the recipient of generosity because I was born into a home full of generosity. My parents have showered my life with generosity from the day they brought me home. Y'all remember I was adopted? They let me into their lives. Your parents got stuck with you. Mine chose me. my whole life, the generosity with which they've supported my, my dreams and my desires and things. Even, even when I got married and I, I see, I, I had babies two at a time. And the generosity of them in my life to help Ashley and I during that season. All throughout this church, man, I've experienced the generosity of people. When we moved up here to start Vintage, I knew that I, knew that I wanted to give my full-time attention to it, but I also knew that, that I didn't want to take a dime of tithes and offerings from our church for at least three years. I wanted, I wanted to go three years, raise my own support outside of the church. So as we built a core team and people started coming to our church, that every dime that was given to our church would go to ministry. It would go to, not, and it would go to things that we needed to do in, in our community and that kind of thing. And so before we moved up here, I went to everybody who would listen and ask them for money. Just said, hey, I'm, I'm feeling all called to plant this church. Would you, would, you, would you support like a missionary would? And there were some people that were super generous and, and were able to write some pretty awesome checks allowed me to do that. But none stands out like Miss Millie. If you've been around Vintage, you've heard this story. There was a lady named Millie who attended a church in Ramsour. And every single month for months, she sent me a $5 Western Union money order to support me. And for, for, for some of y'all, y'all will spend more than that on a cup of coffee at Starbucks tomorrow. But for Miss Millie, that was a huge deal. She was older. And here's the other thing too. Miss Millie, I told you, she sent me a Western Union money order. She had to go to Lowe's Foods and Ramsour, it was Lowe's Foods at the time, to get that Western Union money order. And listen, she didn't drive. So she had to find a way every single month to get to that store, get this Western Union money order, and mail it to me. And she did it every single month for as long as she said she would. That's generosity. I've been the recipient of the generosity of so many people. There have been moments in this church when we've been on the brink of closing our doors and somebody's generosity has stepped in and kept us moving forward. 
and it's humbling and it's and it inspires me to be generous because all throughout the scriptures I think God makes it really clear look the people who claim Jesus should be the most generous people on the planet <laughs> come on you know why because we are the recipient of generosity like like none other do you understand how generous the God we serve is we serve a God of generosity. He's so generous, he forgave your sin. He's so generous, he knows every stupid thing you did when you were in high school, and he still loves you anyway and forgives that junk and wants a purpose for your life. He's so generous that he gave up heaven and walked on this earth. He's so generous, he willingly let himself be beaten and nailed to a cross so that you and I could have an abundant life. And if you need anything more than that to make you generous, I ain't got anything for you. Generosity is the mission of God's church is accomplished through the generosity of God's people. It has always been the case and it will always be the case. And if we're going to be here for 15 more years, if Jesus doesn't return, or 15 more generations, it will be because of the generosity of God's people. Let's be generous people. Let's be people that are as generous as the people we read about in the scriptures. Let's model the generosity that God has shown us and live it out in the world in which we live. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? And I want to read you something that I found in my journal from a little while ago. I don't know what was going on in my life when I wrote this, but I wrote this in my journal and I typed it up in my notes today. And if you just bow your heads, close your eyes, I just want you to hear these words. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but I don't believe in a poverty gospel either. I don't believe we should ever do it because God will. I believe because God already has, we should. He has done more than enough already to deserve our unwavering commitment. I do believe God honors obedience, I do believe God is a provider that we can trust. I also believe obedience is the pathway to better. Not the road to easier, but the pathway to better. I think when I'm obedient to his standard, it always ends for his glory and my good. That's true from my marriage to my money. I'm not generous to get attention or to earn love or to receive a blessing. I'm generous because God's generous. I'm a recipient of generosity, and I want to reflect the generosity that has been so evident and so easily seen in my Heavenly Father. There is not a single resource I want to hold back from the one who held nothing back for me. That we walk in generosity and we advance his kingdom for his glory. So God, I pray that today, that you would challenge us all to look at our lives and examine how we're living, what we're doing with everything that you have entrusted to us. God, we're reminded today that, that we own nothing, but we get to steward everything. God, we wanna steward it well. We thank you for the blessings that are in our lives and all the things that you've given us. But God, as your word says, every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. 
And God, I pray that you would help us to lean into it, to use it, to leverage it in a way that brings you honor and glory. Would you just quietly and reverently rise to your feet with me? We're going to sing for just a second. And as we do, would you just ask God what he wants you to do with what you've heard today? Father, I pray that you would just guide our hearts, help us to look at our own lives and make decisions not out of emotion or compulsion, but just following whatever you desire for our lives. God, we want to advance your kingdom. God, a much better use of what you've given us is advancing your kingdom than building our own. And so, God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and strength as we pray and seek you in this moment.